So this idea of a lack of language is something that does really motivate me to try to find new words or words that can be repurposed to actually think about um, how to convey something of the world in which we're marinating in, um, in which there is so much violence going on everywhere. You're listening to the SEI podcast series brought to you by the Sydney Environment Institute at the University of Sydney. Thank you so much for joining us this evening for this panel discussion about writing The More Than Human, hosted by the Sydney Environment Institute. I'm sure we're all a little disappointed that this couldn't happen in person, but in a certain way, hosting a panel online through a vast geographical network of computers, cables and electrical infrastructure, thanks to a global respiratory virus, uh, only emphasises our embeddedness in more than human worlds. Although I'm sad that we won't get to see your faces, I hope that you're safe and comfy at home or wherever you are. My name's Blanche Burley and I'm a researcher here at the Sydney Environment Institute. Both the university campus and my home are situated on the beautiful country of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I wish to pay respects to Gadigal elders past, present and future who have cared for this country for thousands of generations and who continue to do so. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Perhaps you'd like to post in the chat which country you're calling in from. Haley, Danny and Alexis, would you like to share where you're calling in from? I'm zooming in from the unceded lands of the Boonwurrung. I pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land, their elders past, present and emerging. Thank you. Um... I'm um, zooming in from um, um, the uh, Wurundjeri people's land of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and I also pay my respect to Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation where this um, Zoom has been organised from, from Sydney University and also um, um, my people in the Gulf of, um, of Carpentaria, Wanyu Nation and uh, our, our elders, past, present and emerging and are uh, from our sovereign lands and uh, to all Aboriginal people listening today um, as well. Tonight I'm uh, on Gadigal lands, the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, like Blanche. Uh, I'd like to thank them for the care for this land uh, that allows us to be here, but also to acknowledge uh, the Durable people, which um, is the land where I live and write normally and express my appreciation again for the, uh, the care that allowed us to, to live the way that we do uh, in relation to all the multi-species relationships and pay my respects to them and to any Indigenous people who might be here tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. I can see in the chat we've also got people calling in from all around the world. So welcome to all of you from overseas as well. Um, while we're here, I'd just also like to acknowledge that Australia's First Nations people are the world's oldest continuing culture, meaning that they're the keepers of some of the world's oldest stories of more than human worlds and how to inhabit them responsibly. I'm thrilled to have the privilege to chair this panel tonight and I'm really grateful to the Sydney Environment Institute for organising it as we have some absolutely phenomenal writers here to speak with you tonight. The Sydney Environment Institute is a global leader in multidisciplinary environmental research. It brings together key thinkers from the university and beyond 
to address critical environmental challenges. Tonight's event is the first in a two-part series that the Sydney Environment Institute is running that aims to explore how we understand, imagine, communicate about and subsequently respond to the increasing number of intersecting crises we face and the role of writing in these critical processes. We're asking, in an era of ongoing colonialism, climate injustice and mass extinction, what can writing do and how can it do better? Tonight we'll hear from a panel of critically acclaimed Australian writers as they dissect dominant writing forms and explore how to move beyond human exceptionalism when writing about, in and with more than human worlds. We'll be exploring questions about how writing can bring writers and readers into ethical engagements with the lives, experiences, emotions and knowledges of non-humans and those who've been dehumanised and what kinds of stories can do justice to the times in which we live. Alexis Wright is a member of the One New Nation of the Southern Highlands of the Gulf of Carpentaria and the author of the prize-winning novels Carpentaria and The Swan Book, as well as Tracker, an award-winning collective memoir of Aboriginal leader Tracker Tilmouth. Alexis was recently named the Bububia Chair in Australian Literature at the University of Melbourne. Danielle Salameya is a Professor of Sociology and Social Policy at the University of Sydney and author of Summertime, Reflections on a Vanishing Future, that details her experiences of the 2019-2020 bushfires that led to her terming, coining the term omnicide, the killing of everything. Her research stands at the interface of theories exploring the multidimensional nature of injustice and the practice of human rights, focusing on the relational interspace between human and non-human animals. Hayley Singer's research and writing practice moves across the fields of creative writing, critical ecological feminisms, and feminist animal studies. Her essays have appeared in journals such as The Monthly, Art Plus Australia, Cordite Poetry Review, and The Lifted Brow. She's completing her first full-length work, Abandon Every Hope Who Enter Here, which attempts to develop a poetics of the slaughterhouse, not to fetishise or celebrate the slaughterhouse, but to imagine how everyday language can be used to push against the invisibility of the abattoir. As I said, I'm so excited to be chairing this discussion, but I'm also a bit overwhelmed because these three women have such a wealth of experience, passion, insight and expertise between them. But that's where you come in. You'll see at the bottom of your Zoom screen buttons for both the chat and for the question and answer. Throughout the session, you can post a question in the Q&A box, and at 7pm, we'll move to Q&A from the audience. And I'll try to pose as many of those questions to our panellists as I can. If you want to contribute anything other than a question, then post that in the chat box. And thanks to those who submitted some questions when they registered. There's some fantastic questions in there, so I'm looking forward to when we get to that section. We're going to begin with Alexis reading the last two pages from the Swan Book, and both Haley and Danny will also share some of their writing with us as the evening progresses, so that we can engage with their writing as well as their process and reflections on that. So for now, I'll hand over to Alexis. This might be the same story about some important person carrying a swan centuries ago, and it might be the same story in centuries to come when someone will carry a swan back to this ground where its story once lived. Well, talk about acts of love, a place where white whirlwinds full of bits of dry grass and leaves blew in ashes from a tinder-dry joint eucalypts, where a swan once flew in clouds of smoke 
from fire spreading through the bushland with a small slither of bone in its beak. It has been said by a few heart-broken um, homes people, Manju Akurji, uh, left for that Kalalat country, who come back from time to time to visit the swamp after Warren Finch had the place destroyed, and they had seen the girl wife, first lady of whatnot, oblivion, ethylene, that she always stayed like a Wollumbara, teenage girl. Well, she walks around the old swamp, old dry swamp pretty regularly, they say, and having seen her, where there is a light moving over the marshes in the middle of the night, like a will-o'-the-wisps, they thought that they had heard her screaming, Kaji, Kaji, Kalawara, Nanji, your country is calling out for you, which they described was just like listening to a sigh of a moth extending out over the landscape, or a whisper from a shrub ancestor catching a little stick falling from a dead tree. Although nothing could, that could truly be heard, just a sensation of straining to hear something, which understandably was how anyone would whisper on this spirit-broken place. From seeing their old home scattered to kingdom come, or being where the army owned everything, every centimetre of their traditional land, every line of buried song, stories, feelings, the sound of their voices, and every word spoken loudly on this place now. There is a really big story of that ghost place, a really deadly love story about a girl who had a virus lover living in some lolly pink prairie house in her brain that made the world seem too large and jittery for her and it stuffed up her relationships with her own people and made her unsociable. But they say that she loved swans all the same. Poor old Swanee. You can see swans sometimes, but not around this place. It is a bit too hot and dry here. Junku, Namba, Boram Kunu, Bari. We're sitting down in the heat now. It's really just sand mountain country, like desert, maybe Julamala, um, uh, Burumara, the rainbow serpent will start bringing in the, cyclo the cyclones and funneling, funneling sand mountains into, into the place. Swans might come back. Who knows what madness will be calling them in the end. Thank you. Thanks so much, Alexis. Um, so you've won multiple prizes and awards for your, for your writing. Um, my guess is that wasn't the, the primary goal of the writing you set out to do. And I wondered if you could respond to the first question I have for the panel, which is what motivates you to do the writing that you do? Well, I come from a, a long line of storytellers, um, uh, stories that begin in, in, in our world, um, culture rests on, on, on story and um, and uh, great storylines and, and, and things that are very hard to and difficult to, to, to understand and, um, and to know you can take your whole life trying to understand what it is that's happening in our culture. And, um, um, but with, with writing, um, uh, no, I, you know, you, when, you, when you're writing a book, you don't think about awards or, 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 or 
you're lucky to 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 finish the book really and um uh, and what i do is is uh, i'm trying to challenge myself in my writing and um uh and uh, and to to expand that you know to 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 take that challenge further each time each time i, I write and i take a long time to 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 um write write a book and um because i want, want to try to make it kind of worthwhile and uh, and um uh, and they're just they're questions that I'm asking myself all the time uh, about um, you know a number of things. With, with the Swan book, um, the question was um, you know how far would we go to survive as Aboriginal people, and um, and uh, um, what was you know where was the world heading? You know I thought that was a, a question that people across the world must have been asking you know asking ourselves you know where where are we where are we heading, you know, where we're heading. And, um, uh, and, um, and I, I decided to develop a, a, a book that's um, set in a hundred years time, just thinking about, um, you know, what, what, what would we be doing and where would we be going? Um, and with that in, in Aboriginal world, you know, we're, we've, we've been facing catastrophic times just about every day of our life or, you know, for, uh, um, the last two, you know, two centuries, and uh, and we've come from a long, you know, history here. You know, we're the oldest living culture in the world, and um, it's, um, you know, we've come through cut across you know, huge changes. You know, in in in, in climate, in the country, um, and even how you know, in, in, uh, you know, in 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 um, in in, in over over thousands of years, and but we survived, and um, and so there's some of the questions I was asking in in the Swan book, and you know, and I came to you know, idea that you know the, the conclusion too, it's not just the um, being smart about you know how how you, how you, you you survive, but it's also the will to the survive, you know, to to you know to want want to live, and to um, and that's um, and that's really important. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much, Alexis. Um, perhaps we'll go to you, Danny, next. I think there's a couple of themes there that I expect overlap with um, your motivations around where are we heading and such. Um, so what motivates you to do the writing you've been doing, Danny? So I just want to start by, um, I guess, resonating with what Alexis said. So, you know, Alexis, you spoke about the the memory and the history of storytelling that you inherited. And, you know, I'm the child of Holocaust survivors. And so what I inherited was this obligation to talk about injustice and suffering. And so that really drives everything I do, but my writing in particular. And if I think about uh, summertime specifically, but it's not unique to that book, um, Writing really comes from this sense of an excess, an excess of what I'm feeling that I either can't contain or I don't want to contain. Um, but it's a combination of thoughts and feelings. It's what, you know, eco-feminists call this kind of synthetic ethical sensibility that isn't just, isn't just cognitive ideas, it's not just feelings, it's this combination. So to make that really concrete, if I think about... Um, the first piece that I wrote during the Black Summer Fires 
that was the seed of summertime that I wrote on the 31st of December 2019. I wrote it the day of the, one of the catastrophic days, the days that, the day that Cabago burned and that one of the members of my family, Katie, um, a, who's a pig, um, was burnt to death in those fires. And after I found out that she had been um, immolated, I drove into town. Um, I live near a, um, a you know, popular tourist town on the south coast. And I was confronted by um, those of us who in our bodies were facing the reality of this climate catastrophe and then um, other people who were there buying gelatos and um, having a cup of tea on the sidewalk and buying knickknacks. And um, I felt an enormous sense of rage, but also just grief at this vast gap between us. And I knew that I'd been that person. I'd been, the, I'd been on the other side. I'd been in that land of abstraction. Um, and so that piece of writing came from uh, my, my really kind of untrammeled rage and grief and a desire to somehow reach across. Um, but then, then I also, you know, I also write from an excess of, of love, of, of feeling that, um, you know, I live in a world where so many people don't have intimate, loving, caring relationships with beings other than humans or they're not at the centre of their lives the way they are at the centre of my life and my ethical concern. And so, you know, I write from this real wish to somehow be able to take that intimacy and that care and that commitment that feels like it's right down in my bones juxtaposed with knowing what we're doing, whether it's in industrial farming that I know Hayley writes about or whether it's um, the climate catastrophe, which is destroying habitats. So this desire, and maybe it's a fantastical desire, but, you know, all writers write with some hope that if I can convey what it feels like to love and to care and to be broken by watching the destruction that somehow that might alter the orientations of people who read the work. Um, so a whole range of, you know, I could have named a whole lot of other feelings, but it comes from really an excess of feeling and a sense of there's, been, there's something wrong and I want to somehow contribute to putting it right. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Danny. And... Hayley, that again sounds to me like something that would resonate with you. Um, do you want to share with us what motivates your writing? Yeah, well, maybe I'll pick up on this idea of inheritance that's already been spoken about in so many incredible ways. And I guess one of the things that motivates me is feeling like I inherited a lack of language for, for describing the sorts of lives and the sorts of suffering that um, more than human beings are experiencing within the world of the factory farm, but also as a result of what factory farming is doing to the world. Um, so this idea of a, a lack of language is something that does really motivate me to try to find new words or words that can be repurposed to actually think about 
um, how to convey something of the world in which we're marinating in, um, in which there is so much violence going on everywhere. Um, and I remember realising the day that it's not just it was happening everywhere, actually saturated by it, um, and yet we don't have the language for it and how strange that felt um, and how political it actually feels to be trying to sort of stumble my way through language, trying to push against the way that language can be used to define reality in certain ways that sort of normalise the types of violence that I find really distressing. I also think an, an, another thing that really, you know, makes me sit down at my computer is the idea that, you know, there are multi-beings who have been abandoned by laws and ethics and I don't think that narrative has to abandon those people and obviously I'm using the term people for all species um, and I think that when la uh, narrative refuses to abandon those people they narrative does change ethics and it can change laws um, and I, I think it does alter the body tissue of the world in really significant ways and um, I, I don't necessarily think that any, you know, I have that crippling, you know, that feeling like there's nothing that I can write that will change anything. But I also think that this is um, a hope that I have that is always laced with a feeling of despair and desperation and inadequacy. But it is nonetheless a kind of moment of hope. And I think to have hope, you have to work for it. Um, and so this is part of, you know, sitting down and, and thinking this stuff through. Um, I also feel like, you know, everything is happening both slowly and really, really quickly. And, and writing is a space in which you can actually experience the fast slow and you can for yourself speed up. You know, you can imagine what's happening at a, a bigger, slower scale. You know, you can imagine that happening into the future much, much um, faster so I think that there are yeah, so many things that make me sort of sit down and think about the slaughterhouse, think about the world of factory farming. Um, and I think I have to hold on to writing because it feels like the one way that I'm capable of, you know, deep ethical engagement with those whom I cannot see, I cannot touch them. I'm not an activist who goes and sits or, you know, locks myself you know, onto various structures, you know, I do see that my writing, you know, can enact a kind of activism um, by doing this sort of ethical work. At least I hope that that, that, is, that is the thing I always sit down for. Yeah, thank you, Hayley. Um, so, yeah, definitely having read some of your writing, that, um, that's the experience that I have when I'm reading it. So, yeah, I think you're doing a fantastic job. Um, perhaps you might like to respond first to the, the next question. You've um, mentioned a bit about the inheriting a, the, the lack of capacity of language or the lack of language needed to write about these things. So my second question for the panel was about what, um, what are some of the key things that you've tried to do in your writing? Um, what are the key sort of techniques or changes or approaches to narrative that you've tried to implement um, in order to respond to the, the incapacities or the challenges that you've identified? For me, one thing is really clear, which is like, you know, the logic of the abattoir is linear, progressive and unidirectional. And 
linear and progressive are two words that are really privileged within narrative structure as something that should be sought after and something that sort of is used to define, you know, sort of a certain kind of Western canonical works. So for me, a, a, a really important thing is actually to, to try to push against those forms. I'm really interested in lists, in poetic lists, in lists that allow me to sort of break apart language. Um, I don't feel like I have to go anywhere when I'm writing. I just need to stand on the spot that I'm standing on and really, really look at what's around me. Um, so that, that is something um, that I think that is quite tangible in, in what I'm trying to do. And I'd love to hear what Danny and Alexis have to say about this. The last couple of days, I, I, I thought about this a little bit. And um, uh, and I've talked about, you know, at times I've, I've done a, a, you know, I've written a number of essays in the last few years in, in the position that I hold. And, um, and, you know, and I talk about, I you know, I'm, I've been wanting to, you know, aim for, you know, writing that I think is suitable for this country and probably, you know, at this time. And um, it you know incorporates you know the old times and and uh, in, for this country, and uh, and um, uh, you know um, sovereignty over our own minds. Uh, I talk about that. I talk about you know um, uh, you know all times are important, no times resolved, and um, um, so um, in. What I tried to do, you know, and I've been trying to do, and more and more is 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 and and um, create complete worlds, you know, and complete, you know, a world in the story that I'm creating, and that probably gets a little bit, you know, uh, out of hand sometimes because uh, you know I can go on forever, and um, uh, as my publisher will tell you, um, so you know, and um. You know, in complete worlds, I think about all times, you know, and and um, uh, and all things, and um, and now I'm, you know, extending that because you know everything's connected, you know, in 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 in, in Aboriginal world, you know, that um, in this country, and you know, and in 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 in, you know, we we know that, you know, that we, you know how connected we are to 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 country, to nature, or you know, to all things, and you know. In, as 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 in terms of you know a very close way in terms of relative you know um you know being you know our relations you know and um and i i'm trying to think now you know and how you expand that to 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 the world you know because i think um um that's you know where writing has to um be you know um so I try to create good art. I've got a list here, and uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, I try to use uh, our poetic art, and um, you know, and, uh, and be you know to think about you know things that make me wonder, you know, that are fantastic, you know, that are amazing, you know, it just can't be all, all you know, um, you know, the hard things. It's also you know in writing and storytelling, and is is, and 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 reality. Is, is is there's many ways of being you know and um, it's can't you know you're just not sad all the time you know and and, and sorry all the time and um, pulling your hair out and um, so I try to um, uh, you know be independent and um, and then think about you know uh, um, um, 
independence of what, what I want to do in my own way and um, um, and sovereignty of, of, of my own mind, you know, and, you know, that's kind of, it's an extension of the sovereignty of that, that we have a country and how we think. Um, so I challenge myself each time to go further, go deeper, think deeply, more deeply, be brave, have a vision, take risks. Uh, you only get one chance at, at, at it. And, um, and so you try to, to build something and try and make it work, make it stand. And you work at it until it does stand and doesn't fall down. And, um, and keep the imagination open. Always expand the imagination. And um, um, that's, that's, that's really important. And to explore all possibilities and be confident that anything is possible in storytelling and see the wonder and beauty and the joy and the rapture and the marvellous of the world and all things and stories, all things, all times and all being connected. And um, um, so, and, and just to enjoy yourself too. You have to enjoy yourself when you do it, when, you, when you're writing. Otherwise, you just, just go mad. And, uh, and, you know, and you've got to let the t story tell you what it is. And if you do that much thinking and, um, and thinking about, 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 about it and, and um, um, it'll come to you, it'll always come to you. And, the, and, the, and what I try to do is try to make something that lasts and be interested in all things, the big and the small. As um, Edward Seed had said once, you know, to um, say something, something substantial and to, to something like that, and, and, and that, um, that we ought to be able to say somewhere, you know, uh, at, at length, what you do, you don't, you don't do in my name. And um, so that's the beauty of, of writing and making a, a, a something that's really strong and big and um, bold and, and, and risk-taking and challenging is, um, you know, to um, say, you know, and make it strong that whatever you do, you don't do in my name. And I think that's what we need, that's what we need storytellers to do in this country. Thank you. Thank, thanks, Alexis. Um, yeah, lot, lots to think about there. Thank you. Um, Danny, would you like to respond to that? I know you've, I've heard you speak uh, quite a bit about the, the sorts of things that you've tried to do in your writing in summertime um, around things to do with scale and trauma. Um. So, you know, Hayley, you talked about the, the poverty of language and also the violence of language. Um, and Alexis, you were talking about what does it mean to write about connection and one of the difficulties you know in the western tradition of writing about the more than human is it's always the human writing about others um, and so we're the ones who get to be the subjects and they're the ones who get to be the objects of our apprehension and so I try and get um, to the extent that I can to get right up close you know it's a, a, a challenge like how do you write this term which is circulating how do you write entanglement how do you write from within relationship as opposed to about 
others. So that's one of the things that I try and do. Um, and another is, um, I mentioned abstraction before, and when we're talking about violence of all sorts, fast violence, slow violence, you know, the violence of colonialism, the violence of climate change, of extractive forms of life. Um, you know, we live in this world of the news feed, right? It's this story and then it's that story and then it's this form of violence. And and so I try and write right up close, you know, really concrete, really to bring, to invite people into worlds because imagination is an extraordinary world, right, or worlds, this this possibility of, of, of writing so that you kind of invite people in to walk around with you, both to confront the violence but also the wonder and the beauty and the awesomeness. And, and I, for me, the best way to, that, well, the way that I've been trying to do that is really to be close, to be right close, right with it as opposed to far away from it. Um, and the other thing that I, that I feel very committed to doing is to have us together as writer and reader and communities in conversation to confront what's almost unconfrontable, um, to, um, to be a companion in this business of trying to face what we all find uh, so painful and grievous to face um, in the worlds that we live. And I thought I might just read an excerpt um, where I try and do that. Um, so I mentioned before that Katie um, was a pig person, um, a person who was a pig. As arranged... We called ahead to let them know we were approaching but couldn't reach them. So we continued up the driveway to the spot where it was evident that the house in the garage had once stood. Torn and tangled corrugated iron, the remains of brick walls, a burnt out barrel or two, blackened brittle remains of shrubs. A structure that looked like a guest cabin stood intact with cups on the counter and a few green carry bags on the wooden floor. Katie's body was lying on the grass become charcoal behind a screen of blackened twigs that I guessed were the remains of what must have been the garden around the house. I saw her from some distance before I had a chance to decide whether I wanted to see her. And then I thought about whether to look away or to take in the sight of her. I know how certain images can haunt you. Once seen, they cannot be unseen. Like passages in books describing unspeakable cruelties. As soon as I'd read them, I'd wished I'd not. Or perhaps it's more accurate to say that as soon as I'd read them, I knew they were going to be with me for good and that this was going to have consequences. It's an ethical dilemma whether to know or shield oneself from knowing. Thanks, Danny. Um, you've, Summertime came out in February this year and you've been um, doing a lot of uh, media and public engagement um, around that since then. Um, while you've uh, got the mic, so to speak, I wonder if you could uh, tackle the, the next question which I had for you all, which was, who are you writing for 
Um, and what do you know about how they're engaging with your writing? So, Danny, you mentioned earlier that, you know, one of your motivations is that something's wrong and you want to do something about that. Um, how, how have you, what have you learned since, since the book came out and speaking with readers? But I know you had another interpretation on who you're writing for as well. So, Yeah, well, I thought I might start by answering that a little bit cheekily. I mean, it assumes that you're writing for the people who are going to read. Um, but I also feel like, you know, humans are the ones who can write. Uh, of course, other beings are expressing all the time. You know, they're expressing when they're dying. They're expressing when they're fleeing. They're expressing when they're loving and when they're relating. But we're the ones who can write um, to people who read. Um, and so I feel like um, I'm, I don't have any pretensions at ventric ventriloquism, of course, but I do feel like I'm writing for them. Um, you know, on the weekend, I, um, I was speaking to a friend who is an amazing writer and activist in the States, Patrice Jones, and I was talking to her about a dilemma that I have. Um, I'm involved in activism around um, the industry in killing donkeys for their skins to produce a, a Chinese medicine called Ijal. And I'm having a, um, a real dilemma at the moment about some of the forms of activism that the coalitions that I'm involved in um, are undertaking. And I called Patrice and I was talking through about, you know, how do I position myself here, both in my writing and my activism? And she said, well, what would the donkeys want you to do? Um, and it was just such a great question because it, it repositioned me, like who, who do we see ourselves as having obligations to? Who do we see ourselves as, um, as you know, as writing in ways that might speak to their aspirations and their concerns? So that's a, a kind of sideways way into your question. I know it's not what you're looking for, but... We're talking about them more than human and I want to place them there again, not just as objects, but also as subjects. Um, you know, it's difficult when you... So I've traditionally written for academic audiences and for policymakers when I worked in the human rights world. And when you write for this so-called general audience, you know, there's no such thing as a general audience. There's people with all sorts of different commitments and... Um, and political views and fears and, and hopes. And so, um, you know, you, you really don't know how your, your writing is going to land. And um, there were struggles for me and, you know, I'm sure anyone who's writing about climate and violence um, has this struggle with their editors and their publishers, what Jennifer Offal called the obligatory note of hope. Um, and, you know, like how much darkness. And one thing that's been really surprising for me because I thought that I'd written a book. I mean, I'm pretty critical of hope in the book. I really give hope a big serve in the book. Um, I, you know, talk about hope being a soporific and hope being this type of magic carpet that people want to ride over anxiety to get to a place of resolution. 
And yet lots of people have said to me that they found Summertime to be a very hopeful book. And I found that um, curious, but also really wonderful because you realise that um, that that words and books have lives of their own. And when you let them go into the world, they form relationships with other people um, and they go off and they make um, something of those relationships that you hadn't anticipated. Um, yeah, I think I might stop there in terms of the reception of the book. Oh, just one more thing I want to say, and it's a difficulty in reception, is, um, you know, we, we, we all talked about writing with some like, political vision, wanting something to change. And part of the difficulty is that you can write and people can have affective responses, but then they don't actually change the way they act. And maybe that's because all of this is cumulative and we're just, you know, you're just pouring your little bit of water into an ocean of transformative work. Um, but sometimes it's surprising that people can have these really strong affective, you know, like someone said to me, I was so moved by reading about Jimmy and Kate, but I'm not going to give up eating bacon and eggs on a Sunday morning. And that, um, that's, I think that's a real dilemma for writers, that you can open up the imagination, but there's still a lot of gaps in between action, um, imagination and action. Yeah, thank you, Danny. And I think that's a really um, important question about what writing can and can't do. Um, and we might come back to that if we've got time. Alexis, I might go to you next. You've been a critically acclaimed author for, for quite a while. What kind of um, experience have you had engaging with people who've engaged in your work? And to, to bring that back to the question um, you mentioned earlier, that one of your motivations for writing the Swan book was how far would we go to survive as Aboriginal people? And I wonder if, if that, there's a thread there around... Um, thinking about who you're writing for in relation to, to that idea as well? When I'm writing, um, you know, I know, you know, I'm writing, you know, about um, ourselves as people, you know, that culture and um, um, who we are and questions that, you know, uh, that I ask and, and worry about and um, think, try to think really deeply about. But you know, when I'm writing, I don't, I don't think of anybody when I'm writing. All I'm doing is trying to create a world, and um, you know, in in, in, in the writing, and um, and it's really hard work. And um, for me, it, it's 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 hard. It's um, it's um, takes up all my being, you know, and uh, and all my thinking, and and um, ah. So when I'm writing, I'm, I'm I'm not thinking about oh well, this is going to be finished and um, who's going to read the book and and um, or who I, I've written this book for and um, um, certainly you know I want my own mom to read the read, read my work and um, but I'm, I'm I I can't sit there every day you know for six years or whatever it takes to to write one of these books. And um, uh, and um, and think 
you know, about who the audience is going to be. This is a question that gets asked a lot and um, who you're writing for. And, um, and I, you know, and I've thought about it a lot. And, and I, I think when I'm writing, I'm writing. And, um, uh, and I'm trying to work and trying to make something, you know, something work. And, and it's, you know, sometimes I've described it's like a, a, you know, a rickety building, you know, it's, you, that um, it's, like, it's, it's like an engineering feat. And uh, and not having the skills of an engineer to do it, and 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 so you're building this very rickety building, and uh, you know it's multi-storied and it's going off in every direction, and you're trying to make sure that this building is going to hold up, and you do everything you can to make sure that it'll stay whole in the in in the end, and uh, that's about what I, what I try to do is make sure the book doesn't fall down, and. Um, uh, and that's and because there's so, so much going in, into in, into the into the work that um, uh, just it's just the challenge of trying to to do it, take it forward, and um, and uh, figure out you know how how on earth am I ever going to finish this? And uh, but um, you know, but at the same time, I, I mean, you know, I've been really. Um, 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 you know, privileged and and and, and blessed that the, the the books have 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 um, you know um, people have read it, read, read the books and and, and and have enjoyed them and 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 um, and means means something to people and um, and that's you know just um, I I just feel. Um, um, you know, really, really, really humbled by that. You know, people come up to me in all different places. You know, in different parts. You know, here. You know, across the country, different countries I go to, and uh, um, have been in the past, and uh, not so much lately. And um, and you know, some particularly young people, and uh, um, yeah, I'm I'm really humbled by that. I really, you know, I, I am, and um, uh, and there's lots of, you know, big things that happen with 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 books. You know, Carpentera or the Swan Book, and people who study it and all in in different universities, and um, you know, or you know, in France where it's on the on the um, you know aggregation or other you know, examination for people who want to, you know, in France to, if you want to um, teach English universities um, you have to take this really rigid exam and Carpenter is on its first book in 50 years you know Australian book that's been on that that list of three the internal list or the external list and um, um, yeah since you know 50 years ago it had Voss on it by Patrick White I mean that's 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 really you know that's you know I'm, I'm really um, you know um, you know, humbled by that too. But um, it's a, you know, like I said, it's it's the small things that happen that, you know, really really um, make a big difference to me. Uh, so, but we can talk more about about these things, you know, in your last question about where we're heading. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, Hayley, perhaps let's turn to you just in terms of looking at the time as well. I've 
course, I've got more questions and, um, you know, not enough time for everything that we want to chat about. Um, so that question was, who are you writing for and what do you know about how they engage with your work? Um, but the next question I has, had was, what's your experience of doing the writing in terms of the things that you've tried to do, uh, whether that's challenges, joys, rewards, successes or ongoing dilemmas? Um, so I'll let you choose what you feel like um, responding to. And I think you also had a section um, of your work that you're going to read for us. So um, if you feel like sneaking that in, that'd be great. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I think my experience um, with writing this this book, which is my first book, which has sort of come out of my PhD study, you know, one of the big experiences that I've had, which is realising that to write a PhD is not really to write a human or even an animal document it's to write a document that performs a certain style of knowledge for an institution that expects um, some codes that they can read into your work to see that you can you know tick off certain kinds of research and certain kinds of knowledge and I feel like I've been bringing myself away from that for the last few years and as a result this manuscript has been written and rewritten in ways um, in which I'm trying to allow myself to be as enfleshed, as human, as animal as I can possibly be in the writing process, to really be aware of my body as I'm writing, to be aware of, you know, engaging with language that feels real and grounded. Um, so that, that's been one of my sort of, you know, most significant experiences in writing this book and as a result you know like it's sort of something that I think about all the time like it just feels like an ongoing challenge and and endless questions endless puzzles um and that joy that Alexis is talking about is something that you know I think I'm training myself to feel back into the process of writing I think that going through um this this process of sort of it feels like you know rehumanization or reanimalization of my writing from that academic space has been something that's been both painful and amazing um so but just to come back to also just really briefly touch on the question that you were asking earlier like I, I completely agree with Alexis like when I'm writing I'm asking myself really really different questions and it's all about the writing um and it's all about the thing that's sitting right in front of me like the philosophical knot that I'm trying to unravel you know this or something that I'm trying to reach out and hold on to um, like what is the right word to use here to describe something that feels totally indescribable um, and sometimes you know learning to write that you simply cannot describe something I think that that's actually quite an incredible um, you know challenge is just really acknowledging when something feels indescribable and then finding a thousand different ways to describe just how indescribable it is. Um, at least when I'm thinking about these enormous things, um, you know, like climate change or like, you know, the world as factory farm, it can feel so overwhelming to think about how you, how you write into that space. Um, maybe I will read a, a really short segment um, from this yeah, this manuscript in process, um, this sort of 
document where I'm trying to be as um, embodied and an animal as I possibly can be. Um, so the section that um, I've decided to read from today really speaks to the question of form, um, which is something that Alexis, Danny, Blanche and I, we, we've all sort of been thinking about that together, obviously um, individually as well. But um, this section really does think about form um, the most clearly or openly in the manuscript as it is to date. So, how to write of death or even from death? How close can writing come to death? Can one measure the nearness of biography, the writing of a life to thanatography and accounting of the dead? Is it possible to make a form of writing out of the shape of an afterlife that might itself be without shape? Would its principal formless forms be ephemeral lists of soul guides, metal tools, stones, pottery, or modes of transport that carry the dead? Or would they be poems made only of the last lines of unsung songs or half thoughts or parataxical monologues in which unlikely things are arranged side by side like Beckett's Not I? out into this world, this world, tiny little thing before its time? Or would we need dictionaries of unspeakable words? Or dictionaries filled not with words but with radiance? Or dictionaries filled only with excessive space for grieving or thinking or remembering or forgetting? You would need death sentences, the grammar of death, the syntax of passing out, of falling, of sending forth, of gliding away, of shooting one's star, of being shattered or scattered or completely scattered, the lexicon of death, that might give death its fullest expression. To record the dying body, the dying body which always happens in the middle of life, must we write life dyingly, as Christopher Hitchens said in Mortality, or write dying livingly? or write a world that is just like this world, only different in a very meaningful way, a world filled with angry claims of impossible things. When I think of the dead, I think there is so little to say so clearly because so little can be copied from that passage beyond. The passage that moves off into a landscape of textures called nothing, a path littered with an assemblage of things known only as the end, the end, a location, a zone, an ink blot, an erasure that is also a road, a denuded road. Say you stand by that denuded road and watch trucks ferrying the dead. Say you copy down everything that you hear, see, smell and feel. Still, you would not have written the dead. Only the procession, only the entrance, only the pathway to, but not the thing itself. The act of writing or talking about one's death, says Edwidge Dandicat, makes one an active participant in one's life. But there are no monuments for the dead at factory farms or abattoirs, no obituaries, no eulogies, no Facebook accounts or virtual cemeteries in which they might receive messages to read while they hang out in the hereafter. There is only flesh, bone, blood, skin, brains, vomit, fear, sweat, spit, shouts and cries. There is only cutting throats, hanging livers, 
peeling skins, extracting assholes, and emptying stomachs. The abattoir is a coercive space dominated by regulation. Thanks, Hayley. Last question quickly. Um, and that was about uh, what you'd like to see um, as a next direction in writing, whether that's in your own, something that you're grappling with or where you'd like to see writers more broadly heading. Um, and perhaps we'll, we'll go Haley, Danny and then Alexis. I think I would be really grateful if I was able to finish this book, to be honest. Um, but I, I'm, this book has really um, opened me up to the fact that, you know, when I started it, I, I felt like there is a strong biopolitics at play in language and narrative. Um, writing this book has really solidified that for me and I want to sort of think about that more. I want to think, I guess, more openly about the biopolitics of narrative um, in relation to other beings who are labelled livestock. Um, but other than that, yeah, I think my my head and my guts are just so deeply set in this world of this manuscript right now that um, I sort of can't see beyond it. But I do have dreams. I do have dreams some days of writing about greyhounds and um, other incredible beings. Um, but I think for the moment, um, just continuing on this path of writing as a fully fleshy animal um, and just keeping my feet on the ground. Um, those are the, the really big things that I'm trying to maintain and practice. So that question had two parts, right? What are we writing for ourselves and what do we want for writing? Um, so I do have um, a new book I want to write, but she is way too fragile to bring out in public yet. Um, she doesn't have not even an embryo yet, um, but it's along similar themes around um, those who did not get to live the lives that they might have, um, human and more than a human. Um, so more generally in my um, academic writing, I'm very committed to, um, to bringing the more than human into all the spaces that are normally completely saturated with human beings. Um, so I've just co-authored a piece with a wonderful scholar, Anne O'Brien, about what would transitional justice, this field that has been developed in places like South Africa, Truth and Reconciliation Commissions, what would that look like for the wrongs that we've committed against soil? Um, and I'm writing um, a piece with a young architect about what would it mean for us to design our houses and the spaces where we live as if they weren't just for the good of human beings. So that's in my own writing. I'm just trying to make sure that wherever humans have always taken up all the space, there's a whole um, panoply of beings who get to be there as subjects. Um, and I do have an answer for where I want writing to go, and but this is very much a, um, a, a call to academics rather than novelists people who are writing fiction, and that um, goes back to what Alexis said, is um, writing in these times is not writing business as usual. 
Um, these are desperate and urgent times. And I certainly feel like when you're writing, um, when so much is at stake, a level of courage is required of you or called of for you. I think that um, we need to be willing to get it wrong. We need to be willing to write outside the patterns that have been set down for us because those patterns were part of a culture of extraction and objectification and um, commodification, right? Writing has become another commodity in, in academia. And um, I think as soon as we wake ourselves up beyond um, the demands, and it's easy for me to say because I'm a tenured professor and so I'm safe and I realise that it's not the same for academics who are in precarious positions. Um, I don't want to ignore the power relationships, but I still think that for all of us um, to be more courageous, to be more willing to take risks, and, and to write as if it matters, to write as if it's the last thing that you're ever going to write, um, that's what I would like to see of our writing. Can I selfishly just jump in and add one thing? Because um, I, didn't, I didn't respond to the second part of that question and there are a few things that Danny just said that um, made me think about something that I did want to say tonight, which is, you know, I think if we continue to hold on to certain ideas about what language can and cannot do. We're not going to be able to write what needs to be written. And so these ideas of some things are too big, some things are just unspeakable, some things are just too complicated and cannot be placed on the page together. Well, you know, Alexis's books are showing that, you know, these these ideas aren't true. Um, you know, Danny's work is pushing against this stuff, but I, I really do think that we need to take these really familiar ideas of what language can't do and recognise them as possibly, um, you know, intended stopping points, stopping us from really imagining the shapes that we need to be imagining right now, which is something beyond the status quo, something beyond the sort of um, deadly logics that are at play in language at the moment. So that is really something that I hope for um, that can happen in writing over the next little while. And now I will definitely pass on to Alexis. Thank you for letting me jump in. Thank you, Hayley and, and, and Danielle. Um, uh, I, you know, I think I echo a lot of what you, you're saying about um, future writing. I think it has to extend to the old times, to the old things and to the old place. Um, and uh, you have to be very ambitious. I, I, I wrote a little bit about this um, in an essay that was published by Emergence magazine early in the year. And I just said, you know, that um, the world, you know, desperately needs um, powerful storytellers to help us make sense of the unfathomable events taking place and where are the future writers and, um, and perhaps they'll, you know, again learn from the ancestors and maybe we need to call the ancestors back. And, um, um, you know, and... Um, I think these visionaries, you know, um, have, must be capable of seeing all times through intertwined, important, unresolved, just as Aboriginal people do. And I think, you know, that's what we're trying to do. And our writing too as Aboriginal people is, you know, trying to be a custodian of this, you know, of, of country and, um, and you know, and showing how important, what you know, the, the country is and how connected we all are and how interconnected we are to, to the world. 
and um, so I think that you know the the, um, uh, the storytellers have to be you know more uh, you know um, they will be borderless and bountiful in the way that they create new worlds and new and each and every time they tell a story to work with the unimagined and the unimaginable and um, you know when we've got to also shine the light on the whole not just on ourselves you know and and um, it's um, we've got to you know right past that personal address you know sure right about your personal address but include the whole because you know the world part of this planet and uh, and we, it's all going to take all of us if we're going to you know, do anything about it um, and um, you know and it's difficult being being a writer, and um, uh, and I think um, I think maybe we should, you know, as as writers, and and, um, and maybe this, you know, is something that international forums should take up, like PEN, the United Nations, on how, you know talk about the sort of writing that's that's needed for this world at the moment and in, into in, into the future, and maybe um, call on some writers to take up the challenge and do it and. Um, um, and bring it, bring everybody in, 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 into what you're writing about and everything. Okay, thanks, Alexis. Um, wow, gosh, there's so much, so much there, and um, a lot of love coming in for you all on the chat. Um, so thank you for everything that you've all shared so far. In terms of the questions, there's quite a few questions that are around similar themes and. So I'm going to try to summarise a number of those. Um, and the, the questions are around both the ethics, but more there's more focus on the actual techniques that you use in terms of writing about and or like presenting the voices of the non-human, whether that's animals or the land or, or something beyond the human otherwise. So... And I know this is something that we've all talked about, both the ethics of and of the challenge, but also the specific techniques that you've used to grapple with that. Um, so does anyone want to jump in on that or shall I delegate who goes when? You also don't have to all answer it, but I think you all have something meaningful to say on that. Yeah, I mean, both parts of that question are so important that I might just say something brief about the ethics first that, um, you know, it's it's never speaking for, um, it's always about displacement and, 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 and it's not about making the animal the subject that the human is. It's about somehow writing from entanglement. I think that's the, so... So the ethics is going beyond um, who gets to speak as the subject to questioning the whole idea that there is this individual subject who speaks. And that's a complicated business, right, because on the one hand you're a human and you're a writer and you can't, not, you can't um, make that not true, but at the same time... Um, the, the deeper deconstruction that needs to happen is this idea that subjectivity is in individual bodies. Um, and so, you know, just to give an example, the other day I was talking to someone about a, this beautiful stone covered with moss and they were saying, well, do you think that that's alive? And I said, well, 
it depends what you think that is, right? How big are the boundaries of space and how big are the boundaries of time that you're talking about? If you draw the line around that, then then no, but why do you draw the line around that? So I guess that's the ethics of it. And then the practice, you know, um, after I wrote um, the piece about Jimmy that I wrote during the fires, so Jimmy was Katie's brother, is Katie's brother, who survived the fire. Um, that piece, um, people responded to that piece in a way that nothing I've ever written has evoked that type of response. And it was curious to me because I thought it was so simple. Um, and so I tried to think about what was it that happened when I wrote that piece um, and and this applies to actually a lot of the writing that I did when I think about this question was I actually went to the place where that being was so I went and sat where Jimmy took himself as he was in his trauma and I sat and I felt the cool of the earth and I listened to the the river from where he was and I felt the breeze on my face and I smelt the sweetness of the air or when I was writing about Isaac this extraordinary tree and I was really stuck about how to write I went into the rainforest and I sat there in the rainforest so it was actually about kind of presencing and paying attention um so that when I returned to, as Katie said, you know, we, uh, sorry, as Haley said, we return to the computer. Um, it's a very desiccated place. But when you're there, you're, you're not there. You're not in this desiccated place. You're, you're being with. And uh, this is such a great example of what, uh, what Haley's saying. Being with is, is language that implies that there are these two beings who are being with each other. Um, but it's somehow about uh, becoming present enough to be able to somehow convey that encounter. Thanks, Danny. That's so insightful and rich. Um, Alexis, would you like to tackle that question next? The question being around both the ethics but also the techniques that you use to, to write about or with um, the non-human. If you come from uh, a background like I come from, uh, and um, and the things that I've been involved with, and you know, and 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 for for most of my life, or all my life, um, you understand, uh, uh, you learn, and uh, and I and I'm I'm very thankful to many many you know elders who've took me under their wings over over the years, and particularly when I was very young and you know strong will and hot headed. And um, and 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 just that calming effect people had, and 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 teaching me, you know, about um, you know who we are, you know, and the things that you know from our culture, and 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 just a, a complete, well, just a, you know, understanding, and um, um, those things stay with you, and uh, and. They stay with you when you when when you're writing. It's all it's in, it's on your conscience when you when you write. All these things are, are there, and and you and you and you try to be very mindful of, of 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 those things, and that's you know where it sort of starts and finishes with me, you know where you know or who I am as an indigenous person, and um, 
so and uh, uh, but uh, I don't I don't want to you know get tied up in some you know academic way of looking at ethics and this and that and you go on forever and if you're going to get yourself all tied up like that you, you mostly not try to you mostly get writing because you, you if you're going to be a writer you you have to have some freedom and you need to to think and to feel and um uh, um and to go go through you know all sorts of um understandings and trying to figure it out you know what 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 it is to, to be um um that person in the writing that place um that country that river um you know that you know the you know the animals that you know write about like the swans um you know spent ages and <laughs> years um uh learning about swans just to write that that book and um uh just following them around and and, uh, and, and being in places and and the same with the new book that I'm, I'm writing. There's animals in that too, and you know, I, I, I am deep concern about you know, all life, and um, um, so those things, you know, you, you, you come, you know, from your conscience and the conscience that you've learned to have, you know, from the people who taught you, and I, you know, very, very, um, uh, you know, um, grateful that I had some really great people. He taught, you know, he tried to show me a way of thinking, a way of being and understanding. Um, but um, also to have the guts, you know, to, to, to say what you have to say and, um, and don't hold back. Um, that's about all I can say about it. Thank you, Alexis. There's so much um, fabulous advice there for, for all of us as writers. Um, Hayley, I know this is something that you um, think and work on a lot around the ethics and techniques of writing about non-humans, specifically animals. So um, let's hear your perspective on that. The thing that I think about a lot is the fact that, you know, when I was coming into writing this book, I made a really conscious decision that, you know, I wasn't going to do research physically in abattoirs like I I was going to make a decision that I actually was not going to participate in that world um and completely you know there are researchers who will go into that world and participate as a way of getting really significant insider knowledge and the knowledge that has been brought back out from that is significant really important and it's because people have gone into that space that I've been able to choose not to but to choose to engage with the cultural artifacts and Um, the intellectual artefacts that people have produced from doing that work. So in some ways, I'm like keeping myself at a distance from the physical sites, while also, as I said at the beginning, acknowledging that like we're all marinating in what emanates from these sites. Um, I live right next to a a farm, so a dairy farm. So there there are cows, you know, over my back fence that cry out in the night. So this is what I'm talking about, like when we're, when I say like we're marinating in this stuff, you know, to hear someone crying out night after night and then to know that the cows have been moved on and suddenly there's silence. Like this, these are the things that I am trying to remain connected to 
that I'm trying to sort of get other noises except for the beautiful frogs that I have to say have been singing a storm recently because we've had a lot of rain where we are I'm not trying to shut those noises out but I'm really trying to amplify my senses towards those moments where uh, a truck passes by filled with cows or sheep or you know the empty crates that were were filled with chickens whizzes past me on the highway I'm trying to amplify my connection with those moments and then engage really deeply with cultural artifacts that also connect with slaughterhouses, um, artworks, histories, as many as many different kinds of information that I can get my hands on as possible to write this work. And thank you know I am really grateful that there are people who have done incredible work that I am able to um, sit down and really think with. So. Um, yeah, there's there's a play of distance and proximity that I'm I'm always negotiating and always actually having to remind myself of why I have kept myself away from those physical sites of violence. Um, but you know, it's really unresolved in my head. The you know it, but I think that I'm just going to have to ride out this tension. I don't think I'm going to have a perfect process. I'm not going to have a pure process of getting everything right. Um, I think that this is part of the question that this book is forcing me to ask. Um, and I, I don't think it's a question to be answered. I think it's a question that just needs to be re-asked, um, turned around, taken apart and answered in as many um, incomplete, I mean, unsatisfactory ways that I am capable of answering it. Um, but, you know, working through that play of distance and proximity and absolutely heightening my senses to this thing that I'm spending every day thinking about. Thanks, Hayley. Thank you. Some of the questions that are coming in are again about the limits of language. Um, if you could say a little bit more about um, the the challenges or um, the, the limits of what you feel you can do or has been done. Another one about writing about death and how and the challenges of, of writing about the dead. Um, another about engaging with um, Indigenous spirituality. Uh, the question is, I'm interested in the interface between intersectional environmentalism and spirituality or the spirituality and wisdom of First Nations cultures and how to incorporate that into our language and practice. So those are some of the themes of the questions coming in and I'll, I'll just let you briefly um, respond to, to whatever you'd like to just before we wrap up. Uh, well, acknowledging that I can't possibly do justice to those really deep and great questions, I want to acknowledge I've looked at um, people's questions and you're really, you know, thinking deep, <laughs> deep, deep thoughts and asking tough questions. I just say um, a little bit about language and about the dead. Um, so one of the one of the you know the dangers that you often get asked about when you write about um, beings other than humans is this question of anthropomorphism um, and there's a there's a part in summertime where I talk about um, that we have taken all the best words for ourselves um, words like feeling and agency and freedom um, and and so when you use those with with respect to beings other than humans you're um, often accused of of anthropomorphism of making them like humans um but I I asked this question like what would happen 
if we shared those words around? Like what would happen if we tossed them up in the air and allowed other beings to be subjects and to take them and make them mean what they might make them mean? What would happen? Maybe that language would become a little bit less selfish and then it would be given back to us in a way that might also offer other opportunities, different ways of being human. So I, so I think... You know, language is plastic and language is full of possibilities. And yes, it's constrained, but it, it's also, we don't know what language can do. We don't know what language can do when we share it a little bit more. Um, and with respect to the dead, um, I'll come back to where I started with my own history. So, you know, I, I grew up sleeping in my grandmother's house in the spare bedroom and my as a little girl and my grandmother's daughter um, was killed, Alma was killed when she was 11. And so this, this person, this little girl who had not lived was a, a spectre all my life. Um, and so I, I feel like the dead speak to us, the dead ask things of us, the dead, the dead um, have stories, particularly the dead who didn't have their stories told as the victors of history. Um, and so there's a call from the dead. And of course, that's a call that, that requires enormous respect and care because you can desecrate the dead. Um, you don't have rights over the dead, but I think I feel like we have obligations. As I talked before about listening to other beings who are here, I also feel like we have obligations to listen um, with that same type of attentiveness and humility and care to the dead. Thanks, Danny. Thank you. Hayley, last thoughts? Yeah, I think I, I really just, for the moment, within the bounds of this discussion, have one thing to say, which is, for me, the most important thing is to really sit at the edge of the possible as much as I can. Um, and that's just what I try to do when I sit down. And that's that's the thing that allows me to know if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing is if I'm just sitting right there at the edge of what can possibly be said. Thank you, Haley. Thanks. And Alexis, we have just a couple of minutes left. Um, any last concluding thoughts or contributions that you'd like to make? I don't think, you know, in terms of limits of language. Um, and, and and I think, you know, it's because I, you know, I'm a novelist and... Um, um, and I look at other writers. I look at writers all across the world, and um, you know, you know well, look at, um, for instance, just Gabriel Garcia Marquez. You know, no limits or language there, and uh, or possibility. Um, you know, if he wants to tell you, you know, it's you know, someone asked me about this before, and I used to say, well, if he wants to tell me that it's rained, it's been raining in Macondo for the last hundred years nonstop. Well, I'm going to believe Gabriel Garcia Marquis, <laughs> and um, you know it's 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 writing and it's the joy of writing and uh, and and you've got to have some joy in writing and uh, so and um, and then you know we live with the spirituality you know in in, in our, our culture um, it's 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 there every everything every everything is life you know every everything is still there you know everything is 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 um, um, you know, part of us, and we're part of it. And um, whether it's the river or the mountain, or you know, the the, the atmosphere or the stars or the moon, and 
you know, the, the sea and the land and um, the trees and, and uh, it's it's all part of us and um, and we're part of it. And uh, so we, we, we um, um, yeah, don't, don't um, you know, you, you just, you, you, you accept those things. And, you know, and I, I write about all, all those kinds of things in my, in my writing and, um, you know, and I also write about, you know, the spirits and the, and the ghosts of things, and you know, Rigoletto the monkey, you know, the monkey in in in, in um, this one book, you know. You, but um, he's um, he's a monkey, you know, who's um, who 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 might be dead or he, he might be a spirit, but he he's, he, he he enjoys being that spirit, and uh, he's not. He's not um, crying in a corner. He's um, he's 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 alive and he's he's um, his spirit. We could keep talking for for so long um, because you all have so much wealth of knowledge and um, passion to share with us. And you know, there's comments coming through in the chat just saying thank you for the inspiration and courage to keep pushing and um, be creative and and don't hold back. So thank you. To all of you, Danny, Haley, and Alexis. Um, I also just want to say a shout out to Evie Wright, who's behind the scenes here doing all our tech um, at the Sydney Environment Institute. Um, and thank you, everyone, for coming along to our panel discussion tonight and for all your really exceptional questions that you've contributed. If you want to stay up to date with other upcoming events and news out of the Sydney Environment Institute, you can subscribe to the monthly newsletter or follow us on Twitter, which is at SEI underscore Sydney, or on Facebook at the Sydney Environment Institute. Um, so, yeah, thanks again to everyone who's participated and a, a massive thanks to our three panellists for sharing um, so much with us tonight. I, I really can't thank you enough. But um, I hope everyone's had a wonderful evening and, and that you go well. And someone mentioned the big, bright full moon. Um, go out and sneak a look at that. Thank you. Thank you.